Hello everyone, welcome to the first uh, big episode of the Eccentric CEO podcast. And today we have a very special guest with us, Alicia Butler-Pierre from Atlanta, Georgia, who is the CEO of a company named Equilibria. And Equilibria formerly used to be and still continues to be a services company that helps small businesses how to improve their business infrastructure to prepare them for the the pains that come with scaling a company and scaling any business operation. And uh, she's now starting a tech company uh, product called Kasenu that we will discuss in this uh, episode. Alicia, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. Aman, I am so excited and, and what an honor to be a part of the very first episode. Thank you. So let's first talk about what you've been doing so far with Equilibria. I know it's a services company. You're a, it's kind of a consulting model, but can you help us understand who are the customers and what do you do for them? Sure. So you're you're right. Currently it is a professional services company and we specialize in working with fast growing small companies. So these are companies that have been in business, usually at least three to five years. Okay. And they're at an inflection point, Aman. They're at a point where they, they don't have the issues that startups have and that they, they, they are looking for customers. Mm-hmm. The, the ideal customer for us has a different type of issue. They have actually more business than they can handle. And that's mm-hmm. when they realize the importance of having their people, the right processes, and the right tools and technologies in place so mm-hmm. that they can scale not only profitably, but sustainably as well. So that is who we focus on working with. I see. So in a sense, it's about, oh, that's the, you know, the customer persona, a, a small business that is struggling to scale. Um, and the tool itself is, or the services are themselves are about basically improving and streamlining operations, right? So it's about helping making them more productive and making them uh, more able to scale, like set the foundation for scaling. Is that correct? Correct. It's what I call business infrastructure. And there's a specific framework that I've developed that's rooted in seven different areas. And we actually look at each of those seven. Well, I say each, but not every company, uh, not every company looks at every area, even though I, I strongly encourage that they do. But the yep. framework consists of helping them figure out first, what does your company look like on the inside? Mm-hmm. And you would be amazed, well, you might not be amazed, Amon, because I know you work with so many different types of businesses as well, but it's, it's always interesting to see how even companies who've been in business five, six, seven years, they still don't have any formal structure mm-hmm. of, of their company. And what I mean by that is they aren't able to articulate how their company is actually structured into different departments. So that's one of the first things that I help them figure out is what does your company look like on the inside? And then once we understand that, that's really a foundation for how we structure all of those other elements of the framework that I've created. 
so by the time it's all said and done, they will have a well-defined organizational chart. They will have job descriptions that are transparent and really communicate mm -hmm. what work needs to be done and who ideally should be doing that work. Because as we know, with entrepreneurs, we, it's very rare that we do one thing and one thing only. We're, we're mm -hmm. usually wearing several hats. But mm -hmm. in an ideal, perfect world, if you had access to all of the resources that you needed, who would those resources be? And that's what I try to get them into the habit of thinking, because just because you're doing the work of, let's say, four different people today, doesn't mean that six months from now that you will be, you'll, you'll be doing the work of, of those four different yep. uh, people. Mm -hmm. The other output of this framework, Aman, is understanding their records management policies, whether we're whether it's physical records as well as electronic or digital records, mm -hmm. understanding the ideal layout for their workspace. Hmm. And then lastly, the actual processes and the technologies. What processes do you have to document so that as you start to hire more people, they will know exactly what to do and how to do it. And, and they will also know how their performance will be measured. That's how you achieve scale. Scale is all about being able to consistently replicate what you do well. Hmm. So, so yeah, so if I understand correctly, you know, there's the old adage that sales cures all and it does cure all until it doesn't. And then you face you know, the problem of having too much sales and not being able to manage them. And then suddenly you have angry customers instead of more customers, right? And that's basically the problem that, your customers are having that sales could carry them to this stage where they had a great product or something special about them that make customers show up at their door and now they can't handle them and customers are you know, getting frustrated. And so what you help them with essentially, if I understand correctly is first is breaking down the business into the list of 100, 200, 500, whatever things that need to be done somehow X times, right? Every business yes. can basically be split into a list of things that need to be done by somebody, whether it's the CEO or somebody, uh, some freelancer they hire in Indonesia or by a robot, right? And so by first, that is the first step, which it's alone creates a lot of clarity for the entrepreneur. And then you have other steps in the process to organize all this information and uh, help them delegate and set up for scale. Correct. That's, that's a really great great summary that you just gave. And, and that's why you're so good at what you do, right? <laughs> you're able to take these, these complex concepts and, and simplify them in a way that is less scary and, <laughs> and very approachable. No, that, that, that's, that's, that makes a huge difference because sometimes people hear these big words and, and every industry has their own jargon. Mm -hmm. And sometimes for people who are not familiar with the jargon of your industry, it can, it can come across as very intimidating. And, and there's a certain level, level of fear that goes with that. And, and you and I both know the minute a, a prospective client has any type of fear or intimidation, they're not going to do business with you. Mm. So it's very important that you break that information down in a way that is accessible and easy to understand. So, so yes, that was a, a very good, um, a very good, excellent, actually, explanation of what we do here at Equilibria. Thank you. So let's um, get into how your company so far as a boutique, you know, a consulting professional services firm has been structured. 
how many people, what's the model, what's the go-to-market model, what's the engagement model? Can you give us an overview from a business standpoint, how it works so far? Sure. So because we are working with smaller companies, obviously they don't have the budgets of the, yep. the big, the really big companies. Mm-hmm. So in order to keep overhead as low as possible, I work with a, ser- uh, I have a, a team of different independent contractors and freelancers that I mm-hmm. can work with. Okay. I recently started to hire employees as of last year, as of 2020, actually mm. started to hire employees, which has been interesting. And I'll <laughs> tell you the very first, and, and, and I'll, the reason I use the word interesting is because Aman, there are pros and cons to every approach, yeah. right? When you start to take on employees, that's for, and, and, and this is the case with almost any company, your employee line item on your profit and loss statement is that's usually the largest expense in any mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. is are the are your employees your your labor force yep but what what the wall that i kept running into aman especially when it came to the technology piece mm-hmm. is not being able to have a dedicated resource it's great being able to to have this cadre of different independent contractors and consultants and freelancers i have a a huge network of people that I can just call on. But here's the thing, when you outsource work to other people, mm-hmm. you are likely not their only client or you are not the only person that they may have that type of relationship with. Yep. So if you think that they can be a dedicated resource and that they're kind of at your beck and call, that's not correct. Mm-hmm. So you may run into a situation where you need someone right now, you need them to, mm-hmm. to stop everything that they're doing and, and start working on a, a particular thing yep. in the business. And they're simply not able to always do that. So that's when I said, okay, I'm finally at a point, especially when it came to managing our websites and other different technologies that we're using, mm-hmm. I had to have a dedicated resource. So that was actually the first official employee that I ever hired. And what's so funny, my accountant scolded me he thought it was the worst idea in the world (laughs) and i said listen and and i have to remind myself certain industries are not as they're not they're very 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 traditional and you know with Mm -hmm. us being these eccentric ceos um Mm -hmm. we see things differently and you have some industries for example law accounting that are very traditional Mm-hmm. And they, they don't understand his idea. His thought was, well, shouldn't you be spending more money on, shouldn't you be hiring a, a marketing person or a salesperson? And I said, listen, mm-hmm. here's the thing. What good does it do to hire someone to bring more attention and potentially more leads into our funnel? If on the back end, I know I can't handle it. Yeah. I know that our systems are very fragile. Our, our technology systems are ex- extremely fragile. So mm-hmm. my approach was let's let's at least solidify that first that way once these sales agents do start coming into the business and they're bringing more attention and more eyeballs to the different products and services that we provide we will literally have the business infrastructure to sustain it Mm -hmm. and some some companies you know and and I, i get it there's especially with startups 
startups are always encouraged, you know, you have to get, you know, fail fast, you have to get out there, you have to market your product and your service, and you do, you absolutely do. But you also have to make sure that if you have an appearance, let's say on a very popular TV show, yeah. and then all of a sudden you have 50,000, instead of five visitors per hour coming to your website, you now have 50,000, yep. your website will crash. Mm-hmm. And we all know once people go to a website and something isn't functioning properly, they move on. I mean, even you yeah. called out an issue that you found on my website, my company's website last week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I have that, I have that dedicated resource now, I told them right away, I said, something's wrong. Please drop everything else that you're doing and take a look at this. Whereas before, Aman, I wouldn't have been, I, I would have reported it to someone yep. else, but it could have been days before it would have been fixed. Yeah, that so makes that's sense. our model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of so course, we like have speed, a is a, speed is a, a big, you know, factor in having a dedicated resource because uh, you, you, you only qualify as an employee, at least in America, from what I understand the legal uh, legality of it is that if the employer can tell you to stop what you're doing and do something else, then you're an employee. But Correct. if the employer cannot tell you to do, to do that, then you're a freelancer, then you're a contractor. Exactly. And that's why we've, we've seen this, this huge debate uh, or all of these, these, these legal action against Uber, right? Yep. Yep. Um, because they say their drivers are really independent contractors and they're saying, no, actually, when you think about all of the things that you tell us we can and cannot do and you're setting our hours and you, you know, we, ha- we have to follow all of these rules and guidelines, mm-hmm. no, legally, we're actually employees. So that means you have to start treating us as such, meaning you have to provide us with certain benefits. Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't realize that. They, they may think they have this, these independent contractors, even if they are working 40 plus hours a week. Mm. You cannot tell that person, you cannot dictate to that person how to do their work, when they, you know, to stop everything that they're doing and work on something else, because then you're starting to cross the line into them being an actual employee. Yep. So, so far, it sounds like from a business standpoint, uh, you were the only, you know, main employee and everything else was variable cost of, you know, independent contractors who were helping your, uh, right. help, helping you provide the service and automating some of the stuff that, or de- you delegating most of the, the work. So when you compare this model, and of course, I understand you have, you know, small business uh, clients, when you compare to, and people often say that, oh, services business don't scale. But then I look at Pricewaterhouse and KPMG and all exactly. these you know, big companies. So <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of the journey of you starting a tech company versus you going the KPMG route? So here's what's funny. So because of, I have, I have for years, I would say at least for the past four years, I have wanted to take these services digitally. Mm-hmm. I just had to wait for my clients to catch up with that idea. And I'll explain what I mean. One of the good things that did come out of 2020 is that people who before would have been absolutely opposed to receiving these services remotely, Mm -hmm. they now were in a position where they had no choice. And they saw, well, it's not, it's actually not that bad. Hmm. Again, that, that fear factor. Yeah. It's the fear of the unknown. Well, I've never worked that way before with anyone, so I don't 
because I don't know it. I don't trust it. And if I don't trust it, I am fearful of it. No, thank you. Yeah. But they started to realize, you know, we have, we had children being educated, you know, 100% online. Many, many, the operations of so many different companies are now completely 100% online. And so now I have clients that are much more receptive to being able to work remotely. The reason the company is changed. So part of that, Aman, I have been sitting on this software idea for about 10 years. Mm. Okay. And the, there's a quote by Victor Hugo and it says, there's nothing like an idea whose time has come. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes we, you know, we have these ideas, but your idea might be ahead of the, the technology. It could be ahead of, of the, the status quo at that time. So sometimes you have to just wait for that right moment. Mm -hmm. And last year was that right moment for me. So I'm glad you mentioned the KPMGs and the Price Waterhouse Coopers of the world and, and McKinsey, all of those companies. You're absolutely right. They are service-based businesses, consulting businesses to be exact, that are absolutely huge. Mm -hmm. So the way that this company, the way my company is going to scale, obviously I can't be the person doing all of the work. Yep. So a huge part in me actually developing a scalable business model believe it or not, started with me writing a book. Yep, and the reason sense. that book is so important is because I was able to basically do a brain dump yep. into that book and say, this is exactly how this methodology works. So for, for your listeners, think of some of the famous frameworks that you are already familiar with. Lean, Lean Six Sigma, Six Sigma, yep. um, uh, Scrum, Agile. You have these different frameworks. We can even talk about the Project Management Institute and their certification process for becoming a project management professional. It's, it's mm. a, an inter, you know, a yep. global organization. Exactly, the PMP. Yep. So all they've done, Aman, is they have assembled this body of knowledge. They've, they've put that information into the form of a book mm -hmm. as well as a certification and now, instead of me, Alicia, doing all of this work potentially by myself, I now have the ability to create affiliates or I can have a program where other people become certified in this framework and they can then pay my company a license and use that framework with their own clients. Interesting. Yes. I see. So it's going to be a, you know, uh, like a franchise sort of, uh, you know, from a business, of course, it's not a franchise, but from a, from the economics, you know, standpoint of the business is going to be similar to a franchise where you have this brand and this body of knowledge and this product and uh, this, you know, um, whatever you call it, the theory and system and other, other entrepreneurs uh, use this in their practice and basically franchise it from you. Yeah. So when I think of a franchise, a franchise is still the same company that's just expanded. So if we yeah. think of some of the really large franchises, Starbucks, for example. Um, well, Starbucks so, isn't franchise though. Starbucks has, uh, you know, uh, they have, uh, McDonald's is a better example, I think, because Starbucks are, they actually operate their own stores. Uh, Starbucks is a franchise. Starbucks is, is definitely a franchise. <laughs> 
Same, similar to your point, similar to McDonald's, but Starbucks is absolutely a franchise. Um, the same with Dunkin' Donuts, but, but maybe a, a better example to, to, to think of in terms of a comparison is in, in, Intuit. Mm, yeah. And uh, it, so Intuit created these different software products, mm -hmm. right? They have QuickBooks, they have Quicken, there's TurboTax. I think they also now own Mint. Mm. So what they've done is they've created the software around this body of knowledge, this accounting body of knowledge. Now, they didn't create accounting, that's, you know, but, but they've created the software to enable so many different small businesses to be able to manage their day-to-day -day bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. You have this thing called a certified QuickBooks Pro Advisor. Yeah. These are other consultants other bookkeepers, accountants, CPAs, mm. who actually take a course, some type of training that's offered only through Intuit. And so once they complete that training, they are now certified and they can go out into their respective businesses and drum up clients. And it's a marketing, it's a sales tactic for them to be able to say, well, I'm a certified QuickBooks mm. Pro advisor meaning I have received specific training on how to use this software. And so if you, small business owner, don't understand how to use it for your company, you can hire me to take that work on for you or to handle that for you. I see. That makes sense. And so uh, from the delivery standpoint, aside from the book, now let's talk about the actual software that you're building, you know. Um, and I, from what I from what I understand, it's not just the website that you get leads from. It's actually a software product. Is that is that incorrect? So we are in the process of developing, and we have a, a working MVP that we are trying to, to add more features to before we actually start speaking to investors. And uh, and this is where I. I could really rely on your help and expertise, Aman, is I'm completely new to this world. Mm -hmm. My background is in chemical engineering, so I'm a different type of engineer. <laughs> you know, I, I dealt with chemicals, right, and, and math and, and a lot of, a great deal of science. And so this technology side is just a whole new world. Um, and that's why I appreciate the work that you do with your technical fluency programs, because I'll be honest with you, it, it's, it's daunting trying to figure out all of the resources that are needed to really, to really complete the mm -hmm. full development of the software, yet alone make that transition from being a, a pure professional services company to offering, you know, basically to transitioning into a SaaS model, software as a service. Yep. I see. Yeah. So, uh, what kind of, so it's a SaaS model. So I assume there's, there's going to be um, like a, so is this software, what is, what do you envision for the software to do? Is it going to be the business infrastructure itself? Like for example, for a comp for many companies, the CRM kind of is the sales, you know, organization. It's like, it's like the backbone of the sales organization, right? The CRM. And so, on the other hand, there's like the HR systems. So where does this fit in? Is this something that just the top brass use to get clarity and then they make decisions and then they you know, stop using the product? What, is, what does the software do for them? And how do they oh, use it? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. Um, this is definitely not a one-time use only type product because businesses, the way we operate is never static. It's always changing. You're always going to be adding new people, removing some people. You're always going to be improving processes along the way. You're going to be adding some processes, removing some processes. When it comes mm -hmm. to the different technologies that you're using, obviously you may replace some. So this, a great way of thinking about this is it's really an operations management product. Okay. However, here's, here's the, the tricky piece, Aman. So many small businesses, again, these are established small businesses, yeah. don't understand what's meant by their operations. Hmm. And there is this myth that when it comes to operations, that the resources that they typically find are usually reserved for the very large corporations or manufacturing companies. Mm. For example, if we, the, the, the only model really that you can think of or framework that you can think of when it comes to focusing on how your company actually operates mm -hmm. is, is, is are the lean and the Six Sigma methodologies. Yep. yep. Well, when you look at, so let's, let's, let's put ourselves into the position of a person. We each own our small businesses and yep. we've never, we don't, we don't have a clue about any of this stuff. And so we go online and we hear this thing called lean Six Sigma. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, Sounds like that's something I could use in my company. So let me go and find someone who is a Lean Six Sigma consultant. And here's what we would likely find. Those people are either already working as employees in another company, yep. a very large, a large company, mind you. Or if we do find those types of consultants, they will tell us we don't work with small companies. We only work on, on large government contracts. We only work with the very large companies of the world. Yep. Because they, they, they do not, and it's so unfortunate because I personally believe this is a, another reason behind the failure rate of so many small businesses around the world. You, you do what it takes to attract customers to your business but then you aren't able to actually sustain that over an extended period of time simply because you don't have that operational piece in place hmm. and is and there aren't there aren't enough resources out there that tell you about operations specifically for small businesses and I'll tell you something that I'm often told because I, I'm always looking for opportunities to speak. And so that's why I'm, I'm again, so grateful to you for having me on your podcast. But even with, with different events, Amon, that are specifically tailored and geared toward mm -hmm. small businesses, whether it be workshops or summits or conferences, if you look at any typical small business conference, yeah. you'll see the usual topics. There's going to be something about branding, mm -hmm. social media. You may see some things about legal compliance, maybe. Mm. You might see some things in there that are HR related, how to hire the right people, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I can guarantee you, the likelihood that you will see something related to operations is very, very, very slim. Yep. And honestly, 
the only places where I have seen it included is in India. Oh. You all understand scale. India under, you know, I, I'm, I watch, I, I monitor the Small Business Trends website. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's, I believe it's managed by Zoho. I'm, I'm a, oh, yep, we use, yep. yeah, we use, we use Zoho at my company for email and, 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 and our CRM actually. Same here, same here actually. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I love their platform and I'm, I'm constantly reading their articles on their website. I'm like, they get it. They really get it. But I can tell you here in America, because I've, I've, believe me, I've, I've been out there for a very long time and I'm, <laughs> I'm always looking for places to speak. And I'm always told whenever I talk to the organizer of, of one of these conferences or summits, I'm always told, well, operations just isn't sexy. That's why we don't want to include it as a topic. Mm. And that is so unfortunate because how many times have we heard of companies that fail again, not because they don't have enough business, but because they have too much. Yep. Yeah. And, and I do think, you know, the word operations, it seems like either the first thing that comes to mind is either you have a huge industrial, you know, factory mm -hmm. where you have operations or you think of the operating table and neither of them are like pretty um, attractive, attractive images in the in a small business person's mind. You know, they're like, that's not relevant to me. Uh, one of them, definitely not. Um, and so I think, I think maybe it's the terminology or, but if we frame that in a sense that, hey, you know, instead of saying, you know, the topic is operations or operations um, or business infrastructure, if they saw it as, well, how do you grow without customer complaints or you know, something, something much more simple to understand that they have to deal with in a day-to-day, -day, on a day-to-day -day manner, which uh, might be a little more interesting of a topic. You know, if you make the title sexy and then you end up talking about operations anyway. Right, right. So um, that's actually one of the titles, that's the title of one of my talks, which is, who said operations isn't sexy? Um, and then I have some others where there, I, I have some clever names for some of my speeches, but getting organizers to actually allow me to speak on that is, um, that can be challenging. But yeah. then you have some organizers who are a lot more advanced and they mm -hmm. understand the importance of it and they do include it as a topic in, at yeah. their event. And so let's let's uh, move into the software piece. Um, what is the roadmap for the software? And uh, essentially, are you going to become a tech company like venture backed? What and you said you did say you were going to raise money, but what kind of money is it? Is it going to be the fuel kind of money, or is it going to be the bank loan? Like, uh, and maybe you don't have complete clarity on this yet, since you're still raising. But tell us what kind of company you want to build and what kind of company you want to deal with in future, you know, because it's like a, it's also a lifestyle choice. Like, do I want to be a, like the head of a public company with shareholders and a board, a huge board and stuff, or do I just want to be, you know, scalable enough to not like to have just uh, maybe two hours a week that I spend on the business and it just takes care of itself. Sure. No, that's, that's a 
that's a great question. So because of talking to people like you and some other technologists that I, I know personally who are friends, I've, I've been asking a lot of questions just to educate myself about mm -hmm. what I need to do and the, 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 the sequential steps that I need to take. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first things that almost everyone has said is you have to get that minimum viable product. And that's what we are starting. That's what we have in place, but we do understand that we need to add a, you know, several more features before we can actually start to present this to potential investors. So it's interesting that you mentioned the bank loan because here in the US, we have the second round of the payment protection program that mm -hmm. has been rolled out actually as of this week uh, in America. And so I, I will likely apply for that traditional bank loan, Amon, just mm -hmm. to be able to hire the developers that are needed to complete the MVP build out. Okay, mm. because one of the things, and please correct me, correct my logic. Um, so one of the things that I was told um, fairly recently by another technologist is, listen, it's very hard to get an idea itself funded. And I said, well, yes, of course, I understand that they, you know, an investor, and it makes sense. You, would, mm -hmm. you want to see that this person has some skin in the game, that they're not just all talk. You need to be able to have something that you can present to them and help them see the possibilities of how it can scale and get, get really big. Yep. Um, so I've already spent some, some money uh, mm -hmm. and, and it would, when I understood the types of technical expertise that would be needed to complete more of the MVP, that's when I realized, okay, I'm, I'm going to need some money, some capital to make this happen. Hmm. And what these technologist friends have shared with me is, you know, it's, why don't you, so one of them actually mentioned, oh gosh, it starts with an I, where you can create mock-ups. Oh, um, is that Envision? Envision. Yes, yeah. Envision, yes. So some, one of them mentioned Envision. And then another one said, you know, you really need to have that MVP before you even get to being able to present something to mm -hmm. investors you really should try to have that MVP in. Mm -hmm. um, but before any of that, what I'm actually in the process of doing right now, Aman, is talking to potential users yeah. just to get an understanding of, is there really a market for this? And who should it be? So I'll tell you what I've, can I share with you what I've learned so far? Yeah, please, please go ahead. Okay. So, so far, originally, I thought, okay, yes, we're going to target specifically small businesses that are fast growing, the owners of these small companies, and it's fast growing, and they have these issues. And one of my technologist friends encouraged me to, to be even more specific, to develop even more of a niche. And the more I thought about it, I realized this probably should initially be targeted to other management consultants and business coaches. And that's where the affiliate program and this idea of having the certification came into play. The reason I, I started thinking of going in that direction is because I had a very interesting conversation with an HR consultant mm -hmm. and he shared with me, he said, you know, I focus on helping my clients develop their company policies 
I do not help them document their processes and procedures. Mm -hmm. That's not what I do. But every client that I work with eventually asks for my help in doing that work. Mm -hmm. It would be great. Yes. He said it would be great if I had something that I could leverage to do that. So he started telling me about one of the, the products that he uses now online, but you know, it, it, it still doesn't give him everything that he needs as a consultant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, um, so that's, that's the model that I'm thinking of right now. And I I know there was something else you asked in in your original question. Um, I want to make sure I address it. So we talked about the bank getting the traditional bank loan versus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and And what kind of company do you want to build? It's, it's definitely becoming a technology company. There's no doubt okay. about that. Okay. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And, um, oh, so I just, I just realized there, there was a part of your question that, that I want to make sure I address. And that is, I recognize what my limitations are. Mm-hmm. I can get the company to a certain point, but beyond that, I would have to respectfully step aside and let someone else come in. Mm. Um, it reminds me, Aman, I saw this very interesting documentary called Something Ventured, and it's about the history of venture capitalists. Okay. And one of the people that they interviewed in this documentary is the founder or the creator of PowerPoint. Hmm. And he said something very, very interesting during his interview. He said, you know, this, this product just took off. It grew really fast. And I realized that in order for this to really go where it, I knew it could go, I had to respectfully step aside. Hmm. And I thought that that was um, to, 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 to have that type of, of clarity around who you are, what you want to do, and mm-hmm. what your limitations may or may not be mm-hmm. is, is very mature. Mm. because you know how many times have we read the horror stories of of these founders and they they end up getting kicked out of their own companies Mm -hmm. um, for various reasons but sometimes it could be that you just don't the skill set of an the, the the mindset i should say of an entrepreneur is very different from the mindset of a c-suite executive at a publicly traded company yep totally different mindsets. And so once you get your company to a certain point, let's say where you do want to have an IPO and your company is now publicly traded, there are very few entrepreneurs who are able to make that transition. Some do a really great job. You know, Jeff Bezos, for example, Mark mm-hmm. Zuckerberg, these are people who have been there from, from day one. It's, it's their company, it's their ideas that they've yep. been able to grow into these behemoths Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's a very rare characteristic, I find. Interesting. Yeah, and, you know, uh, there's an, of absolutely no shame in stepping out. For example, Mark Randolph, who was the first CEO of Netflix, um, actually stepped aside before the IPO, uh, mm. I think in 2001. And then Reed Hastings took over. Reed Hastings was initially just more like an investor who was helping run the company because he had already sold his previous company and made more money than he needed in this lifetime, at least. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but Ra- Mark Randolph and 
rehashing, they realized that Mark was not the right guy to keep growing Netflix and then Reed Hastings decided to step in as CEO. So, you know, there's, uh, I don't think there's any, um, I mean, there might be a negative connotation in some VC circles or some entrepreneur circles about, oh, well, he, you know, he left his own company or something like that. But I think in general, it's a very common thing and it's actually better for the entrepreneur himself or herself to um, do what they want to do, right? Why, why should I find myself, like, why should you be forced to deal with a board member, with like 50 board members and, uh, you know, uh, Wall Street investors when you don't want to? <laughs> There's no right. compulsion to do that in your life. Right, right. Absolutely. Interesting. So it sounds like you are at the MVP stage and uh, you are still refining the idea for the uh, for the software that you're going to start with. But since you have been a services company for the last 15 years, your situation is different from the average entrepreneur who's testing out a new idea with an MVP. It's not that you don't have a business idea or you're still finding a business idea. It's about you have a business idea. You know what the software would eventually do because that's what you've been doing in person for these companies. And it's just about finding the right first step you know, the right first bite into the, into the cake to, you know, actually have a sustainable path roadmap for the software to become what you know it can, right? It's not like I have an idea for a new social network and I start thinking about, oh, what would a new social network look like? You know, it's, it's much more later stage. It's just that the business is much more mature. The tech is in its infancy. Correct. Yes. Yes, the tech is a newborn is a newborn baby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, just for you know, to wrap this up with the the big question that I think a lot of listeners would be thinking about: Who are the where, where's the competition? And you and, and I know you you and you mentioned Lean Six Sigma and some of those, but there are a lot of companies who are building tools for small businesses to use. Um, for example, I know, um, I mean, there are many software tools, right, to help small businesses. So which ones, okay, so let's, so instead of asking you about competition, I'm going to ask you a simpler question. Which are your favorite technology tools or software tools that small businesses have adopted, which are, which have nothing to do with payments and uh, card, like credit card processing? I, the, the first thing that comes to mind right away is Slack. Oh, Slack okay. Is, Slack is amazing. <laughs> Slack for small businesses though, if you're like a, you know, mom and pop store or, you know, something mm -hmm. uh, like a local, local business, do you think they have a team big enough to use Slack? Oh, absolutely. Mm. I mean, Slack, you can use Slack for just two people. Yep. Um, true. No, ab absolutely. And, the beautiful thing about Slack is that it's like Zoom. Mm -hmm. It integrates and plays nice with so many other applications. Mm -hmm. uh, another tool that we use is Acuity. That's our booking system. Mm, and yep, Acuity yep. also has many different integrations. And that's honestly, among every decision now that we make about 
you know, in terms of our technology adoption is what does it, does it integrate with the, the things that we're already using? Hmm. Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about competition. Um, mm -hmm. So I can tell you there are some sites that are out there that provide, they provide different elements of my framework, but mm -hmm. not the entire framework. So for example, there's no shortage of tools out there that, that can help you create job descriptions. Okay. There's no shortage of tools that can help you develop an organizational chart. There's no shortage of tools that can help you create processes or they may say, well, we already have some templates. So yep. process.street is, is an example. Mm -hmm. com is another one. But here's, here's what they don't do. In order to use something like process.street or trainual.com, you have to first know what you are looking for. And if you are, you, you are growing yep. like crazy and you're, you're, you're about to pull your hair out and you go to one of those websites and they have thousands of templates and you're thinking, oh my gosh, where do I even get started? Mm. So you have to first understand what processes you need to document in the first place. That's yep. where my methodology, that's where my framework comes in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's saying, I'm not, I'm not only going to help you I I'm not only going to help you document your processes, but I'm also going to help you identify the processes that you need to document in the first place. Same thing with Lean Six Sigma. What my framework is by no means in direct competition with Lean Six Sigma because Lean Six Sigma is about process improvement. Yep. Well, how can you improve a process if you don't already have one captured and documented? So again, what I do is this framework for Kasinu is almost like a prerequisite or a precursor to a lot of these other tools that are already out there. Mm. And so to stay on that for a second, you know, for example, one of the most low tech, but uh, perennial tools that I know you use and I have used as a safety engineer is the FMEA, the failure modes and effects analysis. Yes, right? yes. It's a simple mm -hmm. tool. It's a simple tool. And by definition, it's a tool, but you know, I've literally spoken to engineers from all over the world who can't wrap their heads around why they would use such a tool, even though it's so, uh, you know, ubiquitous. Wow. It's just hard to understand for them. And even for me, when I first learned about it, like, wait, okay, what's really powerful about this tool? Like why, you know, it's just uh, like, a, you could literally do it on paper or a spreadsheet, right? You don't even mm -hmm. need fancy software for it. So let's say I'm a small business and uh, can you give me an example of a small business that would be your, one of your client types? Just, just one sure. example. Sure. So, uh, you know, one of my clients is a pediatric clinic. Okay. So let's say I have a pediatric clinic or let's say, I, I, let's say a physical therapy clinic, because that's when I uh, frequent more often uh, than the okay. former. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I, I have like somebody who manages the health insurance and the payments and stuff. And I'm the doctor and I do the, you know, the, uh, like I give, I, pro I provide the service and I also do some marketing. Like I, you know, talk at conferences and I put some stuff on YouTube and stuff like that. Right. That's my model. And suddenly due to the success of my YouTube channel, I get a lot more people, you know, calling into my, uh, to my assistant's office and, asking to book me. 
and I use a tool like Equity for Equity or uh, let's say Calendly to book these appointments. And you know, I have some some other tool to manage the health insurance stuff, and all of that's taken care of. And I basically have a full calendar of over the next uh, one or two months. In of course, that's like ideal for any any physical therapist. But let's say I have that. So where does your system now come in as a physical therapist or a chiropractor? Well, first they have to have, they have to be, there has to be some type of a pain because in my experience, a a physical therapy clinic or any other small business like similar to it would, would not come to me proactively. It's usually not until they say, you know what, we want to expand. We want to open up an additional office or I want to, I want to be able to franchise my company out. That's when they realize they have to start documenting everything. And what I mean by that is going back to what you mentioned, the franchise model earlier, when you purchase a franchise, you are Mm -hmm. literally purchasing an operations manual. Yep. You are purchasing a guide that says, we know the formula. Yep. This is for us engineers, right? Yep, and yep, I, yep. I love how you, you know, I know you're really, you're amazing at coming up with, with for business formulas, but this is our formula for success. Mm-hmm. And if you replicate this, you will be successful too. Mm. So they either want to expand into new locations They want to maybe consider even selling their business. But in order to sell your company, you have to have things documented. Because what business, what, what, what prospective buyer is going to purchase your company? And if that person purchases your company, nothing is documented. Nothing. And the other thing is, especially if you're talking about something that's that falls under the healthcare umbrella. Mm-hmm. you will be audited. Those companies are heavily audited. Yep. And they want to see those types of things. Believe it or not, they want to see, well, how secure are your, your records management systems for your patients? Yep. Is it loosey-goosey or is it, you know, under tight control and, and not just anyone can, can gain access to the, the very pup, uh, private and sensitive information of mm-hmm. your patients? Um, what systems are you using? How secure are those systems? Who has access to these different documents? So that's mm-hmm. another reason why they would want to get in place that business infrastructure. And then the, the, one of the last reasons is, again, of course, they have more business than they can handle. And they yep. realize they have to start hiring more people mm-hmm. in order to sustain the growth. Yep. But in hiring those new people, those new people need to not only know what work needs to be done, but also how to do that work Mm. and how that work is actually organized. So what good does it, and this is a problem that so many small businesses are plagued with is high employee turnover. You know, Mm. you need the help. You go out and, and solicit the help and you start to recruit and you interview and you just hire anybody because You're just, all you know is that you're drowning in work and you can't keep up. So, hey, the first person that comes along and says, well, I can help out. You just bring them on into your company only to find out it's not working out. Yep. 
And more often than not, this is a this is a phrase we use a lot in the process improvement world. You always blame the pro you blame the process before you blame the people. So if you have problems with an employee, for example, or an independent contractor that you're working with, mm -hmm. always ask yourself first, did I truly tell that person everything they should know in order to do their job correctly? Yep. Yep. And if the answer is no, then you can't get mad at that other person. Mm. You have to blame yourself and the process that you've created or, or did not create. Yep, yep. But if you have your processes well documented, you have trained people on those processes and they still just don't follow them, then that's obviously another issue. But always blame the process before you blame the person. So it sounds like there's a level of intentionality that needs to go into the, like th that needs to come from the entrepreneur, from the small business owner to be able to invest in uh, a tool like this one, right? That they oh, understand, they understand that they have a problem and they have the self awareness to invest in fixing their problem for themselves and they choose this tool. And so your, um, so your, your task is, you know, from a marketing standpoint, your go-to-market uh, strategy or whatever, the goal is one, to make them self-aware of the problem. And this is for any sales-oriented organization, you know. Um, if, uh, if everybody was aware of the, what problems they had and just, you know, were looking for a solution, then there would be no salespeople. There would just be uh, people to take orders, right? Um, mm -hmm. You have salespeople because you need to explain to them how the product can actually help them, how they can improve the client's condition. I see. So, so what it sounds like, you know, which is why it makes sense to have a distribution strategy, which is, you know, maybe the wrong word, but the, the way to actually go to market is not by having a, your own sales team of 1000 people going after, you know, 20,000 or 50,000 small businesses, but through these independent consultants who already have, you know, for lack of a better word, a sales practice, a marketing practice of their own, where they're trying to, they're already talking to these businesses. They're already helping them fix their problems. And your tool becomes one more feather in their cap, one more, you know, uh, tool that they can resell and promote to these businesses. Uh, instead of you having to go do everything from scratch from your own end. So the distribution strategy is somewhat of course, eccentric, it's not like the typical software as a service like thing where you just spend on ads and uh, try to spam people and, uh, you know, do the sorts of stuff to get them to try for a, you know, seven day, a seven day free trial, and then they don't know how to use your product. Um, and then you charge their credit card, you know, accidentally. <laughs> and then the whole story goes mm -hmm. from there. I see that makes sense. You know, the, the consulting, the consulting model of, you know, using independent salespeople for lack of a better word to push the product to the, uh, the target audience. Um, I think it's, it makes sense for a software like this, given what the customer's journey, buying journey is. Hmm. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, uh, and, and, you, and, you did, and you did say, you know, for any, you know, potential investors listening to this, that 
you do have an exit strategy. Um, oh, you you do not wish to run this tech company uh, forever, and you so just for you know just for fun. Do you have any wild number in your mind that would make you step away from this? I I don't, Aman. I think mm. it's for me. It's more of a capac- personal capacity constraint. So mm-hmm. when I reach the point where I realize again through self awareness my own personal limitations, I think that's when I would would say, you know what, it's time for me to gracefully bow out because this has mm-hmm. gotten bigger than what I I am comfortable or you know, bigger than what I, I'm, I'm willing to, to manage at this point. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't have a specific number in mind. Mm. I guess I should come up with one. Or maybe you shouldn't, you know, and just see how far you can go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm older too. So I'm, Oh yeah. <laughs> a lot of people look at me and they're like, no, you're not really that old, but so I'm 44 years old. And so I, I do, recognize that there are you know potential investors out there who you know it sounds crazy to say but they would consider me to be old and Mm. so there I would imagine and please let me know if if, please correct me if I'm wrong but I would imagine that that could be frowned upon as well you know in terms of understanding potential longevity of a product and its its parent company um, so I think letting them know, like, listen, I don't plan to do this until I'm 60 years old. Um, <laughs> I, because I have so many other interests. That's, that's really the biggest, the biggest part of it is I want yep. to be able, I want to be around long enough to, to see this, this newborn grow into a toddler, start walking and talking, being independent. And, you know, let's say maybe when it becomes a, a teenager, I can, I can move on to something else. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I think uh, more people should be thinking about what their life goals are and not just their life goals have, don't have to be tied to their business goals uh, or their company's goals. It's not the biggest part of your identity. It's just one part yes. of your work. Right. Yes. Yes. So true. And it's, it's, I know I personally, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of this, you know, where there isn't always a clear distinction between my, my business life and my personal life, uh-huh. but I, I am becoming more, I think, I think that comes sometimes with age too. The older you get, the more you start to uh, just really reflect on what, what's really important and what you really, sh- where you really should be spending your time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, even being even more conscious about how and where you spend your time. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on the edge thing, um, yeah, I probably uh, am the wrong person to comment on that, given that I, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the other conversation we had, but, uh, But yeah, I, I do think I do think that you know, uh, from what I understand, from what I've noticed in the, at least in the, so maybe you know, if you talk to a bank, they would look at the age factor differently than a you know Silicon Valley venture capital uh, fund, you know, because 
they are used to 17 year olds starting you know uh, they're building an app on their laptop and selling it for millions of dollars and here they look for somebody who you know a bank looks for somebody who will have the money to pay them back and i think 17 year olds are a bad bet for that those kinds of investments so i think your choice of what kind of money you will um buy you know i like to use the the word like buy for like money um that you you're buying money as you know funding and in return you're giving them a bond like you're giving them uh, interest like like a promise of giving paying them back interest or you're selling a board seat or equity in your company right mm-hmm. um, so i think the the choice of of money is also quite astute on your part given the you know your persona and the type of company you're building you know it's slow it's gradual it's through a, a very traditional model of these independent uh, consultants it's not really a venture type company where you spend on uh, facebook ads and google ads and you grow to you know 5 million in the first year and then 50 million in the second year you don't really want that um either right you want it to be a more uh slow and steady growing business um no i i i do want it to grow as quickly as it possibly can oh okay yeah yeah absolutely yes, but yes, yes. uh but more but the the uh sales model is not of that type right the sales model is not that you will get some users or or maybe or is that part of the sales model like the consultant charge is one aspect and the other is direct to market direct to the consumer yes okay yes. No, i'm 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 really glad you brought that up so that's just the initial market to focus on mm-hmm. but yes eventually it will it will be offered to again same thing if we think about quickbooks yeah you and i can purchase a quickbooks license if we want to mm-hmm. um and we're not necessarily cpas yep. or accountants but that doesn't mean that we if we want to purchase the product they have made it available for us to be able to purchase it Mm-hmm. So so yes. Makes sense. Fantastic. Well, this has been great fun and very enlightening, Alicia. Thank you so much for joining and sharing your story so uh Thank so you. authentically, so honestly, so vulnerably because I know a lot of people when they appear on a podcast, they want to talk about all like all the great things they're doing and how how Yes. Completely sorted they are and how they've got it all figured out about the company and they're going to, you know, be a billionaire in 5 years. And so it's very it, it is very refreshing to me and I'm I'm sure for the listeners as well although this is the first episode so I don't know if you get more than 5 people listening to this but hopefully we will. Yeah, thank you, you so much. Yeah. <laughs> you no, thank you Aman. This this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.